Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Hold My Dream, where we navigate the news and politics with a chaser of civility. I'm your host, Jen, inviting you to grab your favorite beverage, sit back, and imagine with us how to create a new American identity together. Welcome to this week's Hold My Drink and Counterweight podcast with my co-host, David Bernstein. Today, we have Nama Cates with us, and she is the host of the Incel podcast, and Incel stands for involuntary, Involuntarily Celibate. So we've got a very interesting um, dynamic in society that we're going to talk about. But of course, first, we uh, find out what we're drinking for this conversation. Nama, did you bring anything to the table? I just have a, a non-alcoholic drink because it's four in the afternoon. So um, <laughs> I can share that, but it is a, it's a, a mango smoothie. That's nice. David, what about you? Um, I have a little bit of bourbon, actually, which I really need because it was a really like intense day today. So thank you for this. Yeah, well, I am um, actually for the first time ever, maybe not drinking. So I'm tea, but I have coffee, coffee, and I actually have chocolate, too. And so I'm and it's caffeinated coffee. So I'm going to be very more animated than usual, probably. So <laughs> with, <laughs> with that said, David, why don't you take us away in this issue of incels? Excellent. So let me just say what my interest is real quickly and why I'm so happy we have you on. Um, I've been hearing about incels for quite a while and reading and listening about it. And I have a stepdaughter who is 19 years old who likes to say that these incels are all misogynistic and you know talks about incel culture. And whenever I hear these stereotypes like this, I always know that there's a bigger, deeper story. And I'm so glad we found you because I, I, you've really looked into this deeply. So, so, so tell us a little bit about why you got interested in incels and you know, what you found out about them. Well, I still don't have a great answer for that question, a neat story for it, even though I'm asked a lot now. Um, but Basically, I was just getting really into podcasts a while ago, a few years ago. I liked a lot of the true crime ones. Mm. Um, I became aware of the term incel sometime before that popped up onto my radar. Mm -hmm. And um, I think around that time that this interest in podcasts and this slight interest in incels was beginning to coalesce, I had like a happenstance encounter with one a young man who identified himself as an incel, not right away. Um, and I just found it interesting and started recording the conversations and thought this would make a great podcast. I, I didn't know what the you know structure of it would be or what kind of stories I'd really be telling because I didn't have any, you know, I hadn't spoken to any of them yet. So I think I didn't think it would be as deep of a dive into the community and the culture as it ended up being. I think I thought it would be more of a character study. Um, but it's turned out to be, you know, pretty all all encompassing and all consuming. So you met this person, you got into conversation and started looking deeply. What have you found? What are they exactly? Like wh why did this category of people appear? They are, um, I would define them as a community or a subculture. People sometimes refer to them as a movement. They'll refer to the incel ideology. They call them extremists, male supremacists, you know, misogynists, things like that. Um, there are some 
shootings. There have been a few shootings and sort of events that have been associated with them. Mostly not so accurately, in my opinion. Um, but that's been going on since 2014. And I think, you know, now here we are um, six, seven years later. And there, depending on who you ask, there are, you know, a, a dozen or so of these events that have been associated with them. So they're on the radar of the security services and counterterrorism. You know, they are considered sort of a terrorist threat in many places. Um, we just had another shooting, obviously, uh, just about a month ago in the United Kingdom, which was pretty serious. But uh, other than that, they they communicate online. They have these meet spaces online. It's completely an internet subculture. There aren't in-person meetups. And they have their own sort of way of talking and their own culture that very much came about with 4chan and some other sort of Web2 phenomena that is pretty shocking, pretty subversive, very kind of countercultural, and, you know, tends to be quite misogynistic. So people from the outside are trying to sort of study them and speculate on them, and they come to these conclusions. How many of them do you think there are? Do you have a rough estimate? How big it is? I would say that it depends on the definition you choose, the, the categorical definition, which is, you know, actually an involuntary celibate. Someone who's not having sex or romantic relationships despite wanting them is probably enormous and, you know, have always sure. been. <laughs> but um, people who are aware of the term and use it to define themselves, even though they might not agree with some of it. I'd say that's a very big group too. You know, there are tens of thousands, at least, we know that from the their online communities, and there's probably a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. People that don't sort of create accounts. And- mm. Years ago, I heard a theory about suicide bombing in countries like Egypt, and bear with me on, uh, for a second. The, the theory was, that you had a lot of young men who are not marriageable, that you had a lot of some wealthy men who would hog up more than their fair share of eligible women, and they were leaving a lot of poor men without any prospects for marriage or sex. And and that um, suicide bombing was sort of a cultural outgrowth of that that kind of terrorism, that kind of commitment to the Muslim Brotherhood, it gave them an outlet that they wouldn't otherwise have. And I I was wondering if you see any parallels. I'm not saying everybody's going to strap uh, explosives around their belt. That may not be a cultural form that this type of alienation takes. But is there any parallel between that phenomenon in a place like Egypt and, and what we're seeing in the incel subculture? I mean, that was one of the first connections that I made um, is just the overlaps in terms of the possible recruits in a group like incels, though I don't consider incels to actively recruit. They do not do that. They you know, absolutely don't. Um, but the the type of people that would be drawn to sort of an extreme group and that would be mobilized to violence or even just nihilism or whatever it may be, um, are likely to be young men who feel displaced, who feel they don't have meaning in their life, who feel they don't have community, who feel they have nothing to lose, um, you know, and maybe want to do something bigger or more important or want to be a part of something like that. And so, yeah, there is, uh, I would say that 
there is definitely a similarity. I think even if you look at um, sort of lone wolf actors or school shooters or things like that, which I think incels have a lot more in common with than they do with terrorists, um, you'll find that probably a lot of those young men, the perpetrators of those attacks also would fit the definition for incel. Mm. There's a whole set of terminology, black pill, red pill. Can you give us sort of a quick tutorial on that? Um, okay, so let's see, what are the important ones? I would say that uh, black pill is an important one. That's kind of the name for their ideology. And that comes from um, initially the, the red pill, as we see in other communities, it started being used maybe 10 years ago or so. Um, being red pilled about something means kind of seeing the truth as it really is. This comes from The Matrix, the film, you know, um, and the main character Neo either takes mm -hmm. the blue pill, remains in blissful ignorance as a brain in the jar, in the simulation or whatever it is in that movie, um, or, you know, gets to, to learn the truths about the world as it is, which are usually more harsh, but maybe more liberating. So the alt-right and some of the other man of sphere groups started using red pill um, recently, uh, several years ago. And that philosophy includes a lot of kind of evolutionary psychology, evolutionary biology ideas, you know, things about human mating and uh, people, you know, how much attractiveness matters in, in mating and all these kinds of things. And the black pill takes it even further than that because the red pill says that even though this is the truth and this is the way people behave, if you know this truth, you might be able to use kind of game to game the system. Like they'll, you know, use PUA pickup artistry or pickup arts to be more successful with women and things like that. Um, and the black pill is kind of just fatalistic and says that there's nothing you can do about it. So incels believe that they are predetermined to have, you know, to the short end of the stick when it comes to mating and other areas of life. And the black pill is just kind of the collection of studies, whether they come from Tinder data, dating apps and things like that, or others in evolutionary psychology, about human loneliness, all kinds of things to back this up. That's the black pill. So it is very fatalistic. It's very depressing. It's very cynical. Um, it does not call for violence, but that's what that is. And to be black pilled is to know this. A normie is someone who doesn't know. <laughs> But isn't, isn't a normie some, is that what you said? Sorry, David. A normie yeah. is someone who doesn't know. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. I'm but still catching yeah, the lingo. I'm sorry, I'm just still catching the lingo here. <laughs> right. But but aren't some of these people you're suggesting who are the people who actually think that if they got some game, they may be able to game the system? Are those the red pill or the black pill? That's the red pill, and that would include um groups like POA, the pickup artists, and some of these um uh, men's rights people or MGTOW too, I'd say they're more red-pilled than black-pilled, I think. Right. Uh, the, the evolutionary biologist, I think he's a biologist, uh, Jeffrey Miller, used to have this podcast series trying to get teach young men how to get some game. I mean, it was, uh, uh, you know, and it was, it was fascinating. And, uh, you know, and, and explaining how the rules of evolutionary biology work. I wonder if that's the kind of thing that's influenced their thinking over time. 
it's influenced the predecessors to incels, which would be the PUA, the pickup artists, and mm -hmm. some others in the manosphere, but incels reject the idea that that works, even mm -hmm. though it does. But, you know, um, in the <laughs> late 2000s, uh, there was this book by Neil Strauss, The Game, that was popular, but also kind of controversial. People thought it was misogynistic um, because he gave sort of strategies for how to have more game, you know, and, and pick up women and they involve things like negging, you know, subtle put downs and just kind of games that one could play in the courtship process that I think, you know, women had kind of an equivalent to that, which was called the rules, which I think was mm -hmm. from maybe the eighties or the seventies. I don't know, mm -hmm. but these things work for whatever reason they do uh, to a degree. And so incels kind of came about as a result or almost a rejection of this because some of them maybe tried it and at one point this was a very profitable industry for some people to be like a dating guru and they would you know have these getaways where and would pay arguably a lot of money i don't know um and try to sort of coach them and it didn't work out for some people so they reject the whole premise I've got to go back because, again, just for our listeners, if they're like me, this is a new idea for them. So I, I because I did my research, I know what MGTOW means. But if you can get tell our listeners about MGTOW and then you also mentioned negging. Can you clarify or, or at least give us definitions for both of those? Sure. Well, so negging, is, I don't know if people really use it as much anymore. I remember it being kind of a popular term at one point, which is just uh like a subtle put down basically or denying someone like a subtle denial maybe to make somebody question themselves or feel like they have to try harder you know i guess this is done in other spheres as well but i think the area of you know um dating is the one that i'm kind of thinking of so if a woman tries to give a man a compliment or something and they're obviously interested in each other, then he'll accept the compliment, return it most times, but maybe a couple of the times he'll sort of reject it or deny it or say something to make okay. a question himself. And this is part of the chase as the philosophy goes. Um, MGTOW stands for men going their own way. And this is a group of um, male supremacists, another sort of group in the um, manosphere that are usually, it's a pretty different population to incels, um, but they, the way I interpret it is that they, they no longer will give their heart to a woman. So some of them say they're not gonna marry them. Some of them say they're not going to be in a serious relationship. Um, but the way I read it, the bottom line is they're not gonna give their, their heart away. Most of these are men who've been, they're older. You know, a lot of them are mm -hmm. divorced. A lot of them have mm -hmm. kids and have had, you know, pretty, pretty bad experiences with their divorce or with their custody. Um, I see them as a lot of cases of kind of heartbreak. And so they don't want to go down that road again. Is so that the same phenomena? Let's just add one uh, yeah. quick nuance there. Is that the same? I think of an, an incel as like a 26 year, uh, this is a stereotype, a 26 year old dude who, um, you know, he's maybe struggled a little bit in his career, maybe not the best looking person in the world, hasn't done well with women, um, very alienated because it feels like women have not, you know, are going toward the, the cool jock guy or the rich guy or whatever. That's that's in my mind, 
the stereotype that you're talking about. And I'm imagining that person on the other end of like, you know, Discord server or whatever, or uh, Fortran. But, and then you're bringing in this other person that seems to me a very different, but maybe they're part of the same community or subculture. And it's this like, you know, 40 year old divorce guy who's, you know, mad at women because he got the raw end of the deal in his custody battle or something. Yeah, no, I wouldn't count them as part of the same community. They don't really intermingle, you know, and they're pretty, um, MGTOW especially don't like to be conflated with incels. Mm -hmm. But uh, they all belong under this umbrella term of the man of sphere, the sphere of men, you know, uh, these anti-feminist or, or misogynistic groups. And I would say there's a very big difference between those populations. And you kind of described it. I'd say incels skew even a little bit younger than 26 on average, probably. And there's sort of a typology, a personality type that I would associate with them that involves all kinds of things. Um, but they don't have any... Even though it's not required to be a virgin to be incel, but most of them are, and they don't really have any life experience or, mm. or experience with women, and so they are reading a lot of the same content that MGTOW will talk about, um, and it's this kind of angry rhetoric about how women will do you wrong and how they're all selfish and greedy and you know treacherous. Um, but these men are basing that on their anecdotal experiences and incels are taking from that and kind of, you know, parroting this talk, even though they've never had these experiences. I mean, I, I have so many questions for you. I, I want to go back to the, the violence part of it. So a friend of mine had a, a funny quip that I, always sticks in my mind. He would say that, um, not everyone who rides the bus is homeless, but if you're homeless, you ride the bus. And so what I want to go back to the violence, would you say not everyone who commits, you know, the, the kind of the stereotypical white male violence is an incel, but if you're an incel, well, no, I said that wrong. I know what I'm saying. The set theory, the basic set theory. Right. Um, that not all incels are violent, but everyone who commits maybe these particular type of atrocities is an incel and right yeah that, that's that's not i wouldn't say that's true because obviously we have domestic violence we have all kinds of outliers to to this um you know not not everyone who commits a mass shooting is an incel but i would say that that's more so true than the other way around that there are many people that fit that profile that are also incels and that's why when we look at these shootings and people create these sort of you know, correlations and make causations out of them that aren't really deserved, I would say that, you know, it is likely that you would find some, you know, correlation, whether it means anything or not. Um, but the vast, vast, overwhelming majority of incels are not only nonviolent, they don't even support violence, a lot of them aren't hateful. So yeah, that's but um yeah, you have the idea. <laughs> Do you think that this, I mean, is this a relatively, I know the organization around it seems to be relatively new, but do you feel like this is a new organization in the sense that like social media, is, is there is there a root cause of why this is happening? I'm sure there are people who've been involuntarily celibate like throughout history, right? But this seems to be somewhat new in the fact that it's 
relatively organized. I know it's loosely organized, but you know, they consider themselves a part of a group, a part of an ideology. And I'm just wondering, particularly because you said so many are young and I'll just, you know, I, I'm, I'm a mother of a, of a young son um, who's not an incel, but, um, but I know that, you know, being around boys his age, I know that a lot of kids, unlike when I compare, when I was growing up, um, they aren't dating. Uh, they aren't even looking for it. And I think I interpret that as because there's just so much uh, else going on. There's the, I mean, they're probably having conversations with women or girls via social media, but like that actual interface is like, it's almost scary. I feel like the social, you know, that, that world has almost created an incel movement. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. I mean, I, I wouldn't call it a movement again. Um, and I wouldn't say it's it's organized in any sense, except there is a term, right? And so there is an identification, which there wasn't before. And these men are talking to each other. So in that sense, yeah, the organization is new. And I do think it's very much the result of social media in some way, you know, whether it's a sort of second, third, fourth order effect of it, I think it's related. I think that there's, you know, the lack of interfacing, the lack of IRL friendships is huge. Um, the pressure from social media to present as something, you know, as attractive, as popular, as successful with women, whatever it is, everybody's sort of representing themselves in this curated way that's not real. So I think that creates an additional pressure to be that way. Um, and it makes people who aren't that way feel like they're even further behind and, you know, kind of more alone in that and more shame around that. And so this club, this community is a response to a need that obviously some people are, maybe many people are feeling to kind of explain why they're falling behind or to talk about their struggles when they feel they can't do that with their families, with their friends that they have IRL if they have them, you know. Um, I do think that's very much the result of this new technology and the effect it has on us. I also feel that culturally there's the, you know, combination of this very sort of sexualized culture and um, social media in addition to like YouTube and that kind of content and everything creating this image of what a life should be and then we also have the polarization and the kind of demonizing everybody's moving into political camps the side or that side and the demonization of the young white man and saying that this is the white man's problem and the need to put everything into kind of oppressed and oppressor narratives mm -hmm. and how sort of uncomfortably incels would fit in there that, one, that was actually where i was going next and um, it's fascinating. So, you know, I perceive this in sort of today's like woke ideology, cultural matrix, the incels are one of, would be perceived probably by the uh, social justice warriors as part of the oppressor class. And yet they feel very much like they're, they're uh, victims um, in the current cultural environment. I'm wondering to a, what degree the rhetoric that you hear among them, this sort of misogyny is performative in the way that it's sort of a reaction to the social justice warrior claims about them. And they're just saying, um, and to what degree is it really heartfelt? To what degree does it really express their authentic view of women in the world? 
That's a good question. You know, that's uh, very much depends on the individual. But I would say that their rhetoric, especially the things that one might come across on the forums or, you know, under their kind of avatars, their online personas, which usually have very strange names and things like that, like 90% of that is performative. Mm-hmm. The, the younger they are, the less they would really have any cause to strongly believe any of this. And the older they are, kind of the more moderate they become and the more, you know, they when a person has some life experiences, they just see things differently. But so I, I would say just overall in general, a lot of it's performative. A lot of it is performative um, knowing that it's performative knowing that they're being shocking, that's the intention. They know that journalists and academics and security personnel are possibly reading this stuff and uh, and social justice extremists, you know, and they want to get a rise out of them. I got a lot of that. And then there are some of them that I think feel it quite strongly, very few but enough that I've encountered it, that, you know, it's, it's notable, but when they do, it's, you know, I don't say it to be stigmatizing, but it's a truth of the community that there are a lot of mental health issues in it and um, depression and anxiety. It's like upwards of 80% of the community has it. It's been seen, you know, some counselor for it. Um, Something like 20% are, diagnosed on the autism spectrum and another 20% or more think that they might be on it but aren't formally diagnosed. So the ones that I see really struggling with these ideas and these beliefs um, are struggling with serious mental health issues too and they are extremely depressed and these beliefs when they feel them strongly go along with a host of all these other things and they kind of you know, they vacillate, they go back and forth. Like, I, there are many that I talk to that will be really lovely one day. And then and the next time we talk, they're paranoid and they're angry and they're depressed and they're sending me all kinds of things and they're very difficult to talk to. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty complex. But um, the majority of them, if they aren't struggling with this, you know, quite severely, they don't they don't feel these things severely either. So that, you know, when people ask, what role does the insult ideology have in either making people violent or just unhealthy or whatever? Well, I, I don't think it makes people violent, but I do think that for a certain type of person who might have a certain type of personality that tends to be uh, hyper-focused and black and white thinking and all of these things, and is also depressed and also angry and also feels disempowered, then yes, reading these ideas isn't going to help. And I think there are many of them that maybe stay more depressed and don't grow as a result of being stuck in this kind of thinking. So I've, I've been reading Isabel Wilkerson's cast lately. And so a lot of what I listen to, I'm, I'm filtering through that, that information. And one of the things that she you know mentions is this, um, she believes that, there is this like growing violence because white men in particular see their status as the top of the hierarchy 
in jeopardy. And you, I think you kind of touched on this, or at least I, maybe I just read into it um, that some of the people who identify as incel, it is kind of a um, more of a white man's issue and a, a, this sense of, you know, that in uh, touching on what David just said of being oppressed, but being oppressed from what? Being oppressed from maybe perhaps being um, their status being in jeopardy. Would you say that that is a trend in the community? I don't agree with that perspective so much. I understand it. You know, it's, it's critical theory. Um, I don't really, I just, I disagree with the sort of cause and effect of that. I, I don't think that it's, you know, a feeling of losing the power that one ever had that leads to this. Um, I think that, first of all, it's not really a white man's thing. Um, their community, for instance, the one that takes the surveys that has lots of responses, you know, in the, in the thousands, is obviously all of this is going to be more likely uh, in the, the weird countries that the Western countries, because it's the internet, everyone mm -hmm. needs to speak English, the English is the language of the internet, and where would people have the, uh, the time and the resources to even spend thinking about this, well, it, you know, it's more likely to be in countries that are a bit more developed. So if you look at their community, um, most of the respondents are from the North America or Europe, and about it's about 50-50, white to non-white. So I think that might even be a little under-representation, considering it's, it's North America and Europe. I'm not sure, but I think so. Um, so I don't really think it's like a white man's issue, but I think that there is a sense because of some of that theory and some of that talk uh, going around, um, there's a bit of, you know, a feeling of just being marginalized for that on top of it, because it's kind of not in fashion to mm -hmm. be, uh, you know, a white cis straight male now. Um, but I think even more than that, it's that they romanticize um, or idealize this image of the past because they think that women having agency leads them to be more selective than they were before, to want, you know, ever more wealthy, more successful, more attractive um, men as a result of sexual liberation and everything else. So some of them kind of grab these ideas from other communities, the alt-right being one of them, you know, and uh, even, you know, it, some Islamist communities that are all kind of very anti-feminist and anti-progressive and have these ideas that during a time when people were more traditional, um, men would have it better because women would have to be with them for their own financial security and, and stay with them because they were more ashamed not to. So, so there's that. And I don't think it's quite the same as feeling that they're, that this power that they once had is now being gone, and these men have never felt that, I don't think. And I think we can fairly say that some men, even though most of the men maybe have had a lot more power throughout history, some men clearly don't, especially now. Um, so these are those, those men. Wait, I'm trying uh, to get the sorry, right... Hang on, I, I just heard my, my daughter. I have to go sure. grab her. <laughs> go grab her. Okay. <laughs> Set her... Down, just gonna. Like, a, lot of, a lot of weirdos watch my stuff. So. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Um, oh, it's so cute. Do you? Is part of your doing this? 
trying to help people understand that the victimizer victim lens doesn't do justice to the world as it really is. I mean, I'm just, you know, struck by that. Like, this is complicated. Like, these are people who are being categorized as a certain sort of privileged hierarchy, and yet they themselves feel completely different than they're being categorized. Do you have a larger agenda yourself when you think about them and where they fall on that privileged hierarchy? Or is this just simply wanting to understand a certain community from sort of a sociological interest? It's the latter. Uh, I would say that working with the community, doing the show, some of the responses that I've gotten to doing the show um, has maybe made me think more about the larger agenda or the way that this narrative, you know, this epistemic standpoint, epistemology, actually, what effect it actually has on people and on society. But that's just been, you know, one of many things that have kind of come about around the same time, partly just because of the time we live in and, and doing this show. I certainly didn't come into it with many thoughts about that. Um, you know, now that I've been doing it for a while, that's a topic that's come up. And because of some of the pushback I've gotten, I think very unfairly from people that I would have um, believed would have been allies, as it were, or just would have understood what I was saying and been a bit more empathetic and, and more not at all. Um, that's me. Go ahead. Right. Describe some of that. I mean, who, who, if you want, you don't have to name names, but at least the type of people who who have been pushing back and what have they said? Well, after the trailer was released for the show um, and before the first episode came out, the network, my network, which is Crawl Space, got a bunch of, you know, Twitter stuff, messages and tweets saying that it shouldn't, they shouldn't release it because um, I was going to be platforming misogynists. I, I've been called, you know, an incel apologist, an anti-feminist, all these names. I get really nasty reviews to the podcast some of the time. Mm -hmm. There was a, an, an article recently in some outlet, you know, pretty far, far left outlets about uh, the way that media and academia are helping to soften the image of incels wrongly, and a lot of it was about my show. Um, there was a podcast episode, an entire episode done about one of my episodes where I was talking to someone um, who, you know, was very honest and and actually one of the more sympathetic people I've had on that talked about, you know, some fantasies he had that weren't violent or anything. And I, I was just speaking about it with him honestly. And at one point he was saying that he was considering visiting a, a sex worker to have the you know, sexual experience. And I said he should. And they made this whole episode about how I was telling this violent, you know, uh, sadistic man to go visit sex workers. Like it was, so yeah, it, it's been just, I think, cheap shots and people who, don't listen to what I'm doing, but who who see it from that that lens. And there there is a lot of crossover with those and with people that are, you know, that would call themselves anti-the. I've just seen that. Mm. I don't think from what I've seen that 
you're sympathetic. I think you're you're shedding light on something that a lot of people don't know about. I mean, I've never heard of anyone else dedicated to this movement, or at least giving voice to this movement as you are. So, I mean, would you say that you're sympathetic? That's not how what I'm. That's not what I'm getting from you, or from what I've heard from the work that you're doing. I mean, you're very just open dialogue with this. Yeah, I think that's what I am too. Um, I don't think that I'm sympathetic. I think that I'm sympathetic or empathetic to individuals that I talk to mm-hmm. that express no, you know, ill will, don't hate women, any of that. There are many that are like that, you know. Um, and there are people that speak about their traumas and being bullied and some of them are extremely articulate and some of them are, you know, um, politically aligned with those people. You know, I have had feminists in cells even on my show. So I think painting everyone with a broad brush is just, I'm not doing that. And I think from the beginning, the fact that I haven't pushed back and sort of tried to have gotcha moments or help people's feet to the fire for things that they don't believe or don't say has made people think that I'm sympathetic. Do you want to do you want to check on your baby, Nama? I mean, she she's right there, so I know she's fine. But I I, I don't think she's going to stop this. Uh, um, singing. <laughs> it's nice background music. It's actually kind of charming. Yeah. The uh, documentary maker Dia Khan um, put herself with the like neo-Nazi groups, embedded herself with neo-Nazi groups, and she was there in the run-up to Charlottesville and uh, to, and, and um, got to know a lot of these men in this movement. And over time, some of them actually developed a crush on her and she used it to sort of, she didn't use it. They, they ended up moving out of the neo-Nazi movement because it actually went up against their core belief of what a person of color could be. I mean, she's, she's uh, Pakistani by birth. I'm wondering if you've had that impact on any of these men who have these really fixed stereotypes of women, and here you come and lend a sympathetic ear. Have you, uh, have any of them sort of been interested in you or, or use that as a way of sort of extricating themselves from the subculture? Well, um, you know, I would say that incels are unique in this sense that you don't need to extricate yourself from a subculture to no longer be an incel. And the, the, the goal already without me in the picture, you know, whether or not I was ever involved is to um, no longer be an incel. So it's, it's different in that way that, you know, most of them just want to get laid and just want a girlfriend. Um, <laughs> I think that, you know, and, and don't have negative views of women really either. They might, talk about it they might kind of spout off and you know say things like just that women are shallow and women will never you know love them and they always want chat and this and that but they don't really have deeply felt negative views about women and they Mm -hmm. are happy almost all of them are immediately you know if they have any indication that some woman is interested in them they want to talk to her they want to get to know her and they don't really think very much about all the incel stuff there are some that I, you know, speak to off the show that did uh, ascend. That's their word for it. In the time that I've known them, and if I help them gain confidence to, to try something and do that, then that's great. But I think they were on their way there anyway. Are some of them just part of the, like the late bloomer club? I mean, I was a, you know, a late bloomer. You know, I, I had much better luck, not luck or whatever, with, with 
women, young women in my like later teens than I did in my earlier teens. And yet, you know, there are plenty of guys who at age 14, 15 were already, you know, players or whatever. That wasn't me. But um, I'm wondering if that if that's the case with some of them. They're just late bloomers. Yes, definitely. And and I, I tell a lot of them that because a lot of them are very young in their early 20s, you know. And in the past, that would have just been a late bloomer. And there wouldn't have been all this seeking for explanation or certainly blaming other people for it. And I think that's one of the things that's different now and that's not necessarily helpful. But that's not really all the fault of incels or their ideology. It's kind of just culture and technology and the information that people have available. Um, but yeah, I would say that probably most of them are just late bloomers. Hmm. So, Nama, you, you kind of just answered a question for me. I mean, they're involuntarily celibate. So most of these kids, and, and, and you did say most of the incels, I mean, MGTOW is older, incels are younger. So I, you know, I was thinking the same thing as David, is it just that they're late bloomers now that we've got social media, my earlier question to you, maybe, you know, it's not as important as it was to when we were going to school. But I guess the question though is, they're involuntarily celibate, but if they were to, if that situation were to change, if they were to ascend, is the language that you said, then they would welcome that with open arms. And, and do you think that then they kind of break away from the groups that they might be in? Or, I mean, are people who do that, is it seen as like, wow, yay, go you? Or is it like, oh, you just broke the code, bro? Yeah. You know? Uh, so they are it's kind of uh interesting because they are pretty much universally congratulated and everybody's you know happy for, for them you can see some of that on my twitter timeline occasionally i'll i'll tweet when someone says something like i've ascended and you just see the comments um but they're also they're not really uh allowed in the in forums anymore once they're you know results <laughs> only but I know that they keep their, you know, personal kind of individual friendships that they might have had. So there's no, yeah, there's no ill will or anything there. Um, for some of them, I think that they become so depressed, you know, um, and that rejection kind of hits them so hard that it might be a bit difficult for them if the opportunity comes up to actually go forward and, you know, seize the moment. And I do think that being in the echo chamber isn't super helpful. But from what I've seen, yeah, they even ones that sort of stay in the community and don't really tell people about it because maybe it's become a persona for them. They tell people individually, and that that is the goal for almost everything. Yeah, I, I just, you just mentioned something that made me think again. So, in these incel groups, do they ever let people like like you? Are you allowed in to? kind of just see and research or is it very closed? I mean, and, and, and I'm also thinking, I know incels are, are men, but you know, because of the social media, there are a lot of women also who are, we'll say late bloomers or who are um, not, or who are involuntarily celibate. I mean, would they allow other people who aren't technically incels in to be part of the conversation or is it very, very closed and secretive, if you will? secretive because it's on the open web you know um okay. they don't allow people who aren't incels to have an account on the forum and to contribute to the conversation on the forum mm -hmm. but it's pretty much all available for anyone to see 
that's why you know there have been some studies and research papers done on this forum because it's it's just there that they can scrape it and with regards to women there is a, a group that call themselves stem cells um you know female incels male incels don't believe that female incels are really a thing because they think that it's women's high standards that right. you know prevent many men from kind of getting in um that's why they also don't think that uh, gay men can be incel you know they don't have that barrier <laughs> um and indeed i would say it's a very different group i i do think that there is truth to the fact that most women if they wanted to you know just have sex like no strings attached sex probably could um it's you know when you start to say well I want it to mean something to be a relationship, some emotional uh, investment, then that's probably more where you get the um, the the themselves or the, the forever alones, as they kind of call themselves, and that's the the subreddit. Got it. Forever alone. Yeah. Well, I'm almost done with my drink, and I know you have got your baby, Nama. Thank you so much, David. Do you have any final? I do. Fascinating, and I'm so glad that you took this on and can give us a thoughtful perspective on what's happening. Really appreciate that. Yeah, and I just wanna end with saying, you know, I really appreciate you going forward and having this conversation in good faith. I know that you've been attacked for it, but I, I think that shows uh, moral courage. And, and like David said, I mean, hopefully through these conversations, some of the, what may have seeped into this movement in the extremist sense actually is mitigated as a result of people feeling like they've, they've been heard. So we appreciate you. Thank you. I mean, I think that the people, when people don't feel heard is when they might resort to violence. Mm -hmm. That's kind of historically been true. So I think that it is important for anyone to know that they will be respectfully heard. And also just that one member of the out group being a woman is not trying to set them up or, you know, entrap them or something, I think is, if nothing else, that might be helpful, but. Well, thank you, Nama. Have a great afternoon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hold My Drink. Like or subscribe to the show and check out the show notes for links to source material and to our website, where you can find what each of us is reading every week, different news with different views. If you have a topic that you would like us to explore, drop us a line. And join us next week as we say, hold my drink and the conversation gets real.